Commissioner? <laughs> Batman. Where's the Joker? He's, he's locked safely in Arkham. The Penguin? Uh, no, I... Two-Face. No, it's not... Is it the Riddler again? <sighs> it's... It's not Calendar Man, is it? No! Oh, thank God. It's not about your extensive rogues gallery. Oh. Word on the street. There's a new player in Gotham. They call themselves Podcasters Assemble. They're calling for entries on the latest season where they're reviewing every Batman movie, starting with Tim Burton's 1989 original and leading up to this year's release of Matt Reeves' The Batman. Holy Bat movies, Batman! You said it, Robin. Wait, where, where, where did the kid come from? There's no time to waste. To the Batmobile. Podcasters, I symbol. <laughs> I am saying ice puns. Hey, this is Zach from the Neatcast. Evan Cultured and Podcasters Assemble. Hey, this is Chris from Comic Zombie and Epic Fails of History. Hello, I'm Stephen White, co-host of Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo. Yo, this is Corey with The World is My Burrito. This is Eric Slater from Epic Fails of History, Too Young for This Trek, and Comic Zombie. This is Ben from Dragoon Effect. Hello, my name is Douglas Gale. I am co-host of a podcast called Game Game Pass. Hello, I'm Dan Hitch from the Temple Trek podcast and several other podcasts, which I'm not going to mention now. And uh, speaking of other things I shouldn't want to mention... Batman and Robin. It's finally here. Um, Here's Batman and Robin. Today we are talking about... Batman and Robin. Today I am sharing my brilliant thoughts about the equally brilliant movie Batman and Robin. Oh, God. Batman and Robin, the, <laughs> probably the worst film of the entire Batman franchise. At least according to probably some of us during this episode. My thoughts are bad. That's what I'm trying to say. Here we go again. Oh, dear. <sighs> Who defends this city? Batman and Robin. Leading the ultimate airstrike. Aerial combat Batman. Wings out, swooping down. Aerial Defender Robin, diving in, missiles on. Chill him out, knock him cold. Vehicles come with built-in pilot, he sold separately. Be the man, Batman. Batman and Robin. Mr. Freeze launches a shivering shockwave, but heat scan Batman's thermal sensors make Freeze sweat. And now the blazing Bat-Hammer lights up the night, ready for the final fight, sending the frozen fiend to a massive meltdown. Batman and Robin. Figures and vehicles each sold separately, batteries not included. Batman and Robin. Ice terror Mr. Freeze launches a chilling strike. Blastwing Batman whips his massive cape to cut down the cold criminal. Now Robin comes with his Redbird cycle to put evil on ice as Batgirl blasts in to send Freeze to the cooler. Batman and Robin. Vehicles come with figures. Blastwing Batman sold separately. This time, the dynamic duo faces off against Arnold Schwarzenegger, hamming it up as Mr. Freeze, who first appeared as Mr. Zero in 1959's Batman number 121. Poison Ivy, Uma Thurman, first appeared in 1966's Batman number 181. And Bane was first introduced in 1993's Vengeance of Bane number 1. Alright boys, here we go. Ugh, here we are, Batman and Robin. Ugh, why are we doing this? A moment I have dreaded as we've gone through this rewatch. Boy, we're gonna have a lot to talk about in this one. If you thought that Batman Forever was bad, this is the one that really jumped the shark. Okay, I want to keep this very short, because the longer I go on about this piece of trash, the more upset I will get. I know this movie is over, what, 20 years old at this point, and all the feelings that that myself and comic book fans like myself had at the end of this movie, like, well... That's it. This one killed superhero movies forever. 
Superman 4 put it in the in the hospital and Batman 4 just dragged it down to the incinerator and threw it in before its time. And uh, you know, Blade came out like what two, three years later, so it really didn't matter at all in the end of things. Let's see. I would have seen this film, 1997, uh, in theaters. Would have been the fun little Jack's Junior Cinemas up in Littleton, New Hampshire. Batman and Robin, I didn't actually see at the cinema. In previous uh, recordings, I've always mentioned how I wasn't the right age or um, the, the age rating didn't actually allow for me to see it, and Batman Forever was the first I had seen in theatrical release. Batman and Robin, I was more than old enough to do, but something about it, I don't know what it was, whether it's the trailer, whether it was the, the, the guest stars, it just didn't appeal. Maybe the age that I was at that time, I was starting to go through uh, what we do over here in the UK called uh, GCSEs and A-levels, which are our big major qualifications before going on to university or college age. And uh, I, I really wasn't focused on movies. I was uh, too stressed out, I guess, <laughs> with uh, with real stuff. So, uh, you know, going to see uh, a pointy-eared bat uh, superhero, probably not top of my agenda. Every other season I've tried to be positive, but one movie got under my skin during that time. Now this one comes along. <sighs> Even after the silliness of Batman Forever, that film never went completely off the rails. However, Schumacher decided to double down on everything this time and took what could have been a magnificently poignant film and turned it into a two-hour cartoon. But equally... Just all the vibes, all of the secondhand information uh, from friends and uh, from colleagues where I, I had my first job. It was sort of a, just stay away from this movie. It's not that great. And boy, were they right. But this movie feels like an insult. I really don't like this movie. And I, I know that's not an unpopular opinion. I, I know it's not a hot take. Not just an insult to, to, to Batman, which it definitely does. But an insult to to the source material. But this movie isn't a movie. It is a two-hour exercise in something. <laughs> it is maybe a, a real tape to show actors what you're not supposed to do, I guess. And I will cut movies a lot of slack. An insult to the movies that came before, except for Forever for some god-awful reason. I mean, I liked Batman Forever, and not a lot of people do like that film. But at least that seemed to be having some fun with the concept. This one is just pap. It's not even a popcorn flick. It's it's not even something that you just sort of switch your brain off and can enjoy. It is so offensive to the eyes, to the ears, to any sense that you might have, bat sonar or otherwise, that I just I can't bring myself to really want to talk about it any more than the four minutes that I've already recorded. And, and really, like, it kind of feels like an insult to the fans of, of uh, the Batman and comic books and comic book movies and superhero movies and all that stuff. It feels like the, the studio, more than anything, but the filmmakers, too, uh, are going like, this is childish and stupid, and you're childish and stupid for liking it. I remember being very excited for it, and I remember leaving not as, not as excited uh, afterwards. Never have I ever walked out of a theater feeling utter disappointment. So I, I understand that this was one of those movies that were it had like a set release date that was way too soon and they just had to rush it out. But holy hell, this is terrible. I mean, just terrible. Me and a friend of mine walked out in silence. Drove for quite a while after that in silence as well. 
The second time that happened to me was November of the same damn year watching Mortal Kombat Annihilation. The aforementioned film that got under my skin, by the way. I'm starting to think that 1997 was sending me red flags that I wasn't picking up on. Like, f*** this movie, man. F everything about this. Now, much like forever, when you look at this on paper and the, the names that are associated with it, it looks like it's going to be a very successful film. Arnold Schwarzenegger getting top billing. George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell returning as Robin, Uma Thurman, and Alicia Silverstone. That's a pretty solid cast from notable young and upcoming and also seasoned, seasoned actors, but we, did not, we didn't realize what we were getting ourselves into. Val Kilmer decided not to uh, reprise his role over some scheduling conflicts with, uh, with the Saint, so George Clooney was cast as Bruce Wayne and Batman. George Clooney is a great actor, and I love him in anything I see him in. But he's no Batman. And he, there's no freaking difference between Bruce Wayne and Batman. He's a great Bruce Wayne, but like Kilmer before him, didn't quite nail the duality of the role. Whether he's playing Batman, whether he's playing Bruce Wayne, I don't see a difference in the character. George Clooney is awful as both Batman and Bruce Wayne. And I do not like George Clooney as Batman. I felt like Val Kilmer was a really solid progression from Keaton, the, the movie was bad. I felt like everything about what they did with his character was bad, but I felt that Kilmer was a lot more believable. He does not do either part well at all. I, I don't know whether George Clooney wanted to be in this movie, uh, felt contractually obligated to be in this movie, or whether he was just decided he was going to be in a superhero film and just leave it at that. And this is just another example to me of like, I mean, it really, it feels like Clooney phoning it in. Like, he's not even good Clooney. He's just like, I don't know, like, Cracker Jack Box Clooney. I just, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I, I know that subsequently he's talked about it and he jokes about how he destroyed the Batman franchise. I don't think he's a bad actor. I think he's a fantastic actor. I love most of the movies he's in. This is not one of them. And I just don't get how it went so disastrously wrong. He is the epitome of what Bruce Wayne could be, the character of Bruce Wayne could be. The facade that he puts on himself to pretend to be the playboy, well, George Clooney could be that. It just, I don't know, it was never explored. It wasn't given the depth it needed. George Clooney, very funny to see him in this movie because, I mean, you know, he was, I guess, what, on that ER show? So he was pretty famous, but that was TV famous. And then this is one of his big movie debuts ah george george clooney uh, is my least favorite batman i think ever anywhere upon any point i will say uh, he makes a fantastic batman and bruce wayne without question i would rank him above michael keaton now outside of his performance the rest of the cast is serviceable Although Chris O'Donnell reprised his role as Robin for Joel Schumacher's second bad outing, Val Kilmer was replaced by George Clooney as Bruce Wayne. That's not to say that I didn't like George Clooney. I enjoyed, obviously, Chris O'Donnell's uh, Robin from Batman Forever, so it was nice to see that he came back. Chris O'Donnell does well enough, but he comes off whiny most of the movie. Chris O'Donnell returns as, uh, as Robin, which I was excited to see him, but they turned him into a bit more of a whiny bitch for this movie. Definitely make him seem like he's a angsty teenager that looks 28 batman's character actor isn't even the first name on this title card it is arnold schwarzenegger george clooney just fuck off 
Arnold Schwarzenegger is Mr. Freeze. Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, is Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's the Terminator. How could I not like Terminator? Arnold Schwarzenegger, big action star of the 80s and 90s, playing Mr. Freeze, which, <laughs> depending depending on your view, is either the best or potentially worst part of the film. So Mr. Freeze is inexplicably played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who turns him into a pun-obsessed madman in one of the dumbest costumes in movie history. I have never hated Arnold Schwarzenegger so much in my life. He's seriously miscast. Uma Thurman is cast as Poison Ivy. Uh, Uma Thurman from Pulp Fiction. I mean, enough said. Uma Thurman is the highlight not only of this movie, but of the entire four movie run of the starting with Batman 89. She is a precious angel and I will tolerate not one criticism of her performance. Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy should have been brilliant, but she turns in the absolute worst performance of her stellar career. And even though I'm not fond of this representation of Poison Ivy, at least Uma Thurman knew what kind of movie she was in and hams it up beautifully. You know, she she hams it up similar to what uh, Jim Carrey did as the Riddler. With far less puns than her ice-cold partner. Michael Goff is always a delight. And then Alicia Silverstone. British, non-British Alicia Silverstone, Batgirl. I have nothing against Alicia Silverstone. I think she's done some fantastic work in lots of other movies. I don't know what else I had seen her in at the time. Why is Batgirl in this movie? I enjoyed seeing Batgirl, but upon second viewing, she's she's not a great actress, and the part was just feels like it's shoehorned in. Alicia Silverstone, as pointed out, is really there for no other reason just to say, hey, look, Batgirl. I just want to address something from the get-go. Why is this movie called Batman and Robin? Well, the last one was called Batman Forever. There are three caped crusaders in this film. They don't put a modicum of respect on Alicia Silverstone's participation. We already know Robin is in here. He was in the last movie, and he's on the cover of this one. I don't need his name in the title. The plot works with or without her. For that matter, why is Elle McPherson in this movie? She has zero purpose. There is a lot of talent here, and all of it just seems to be utterly wasted. Since there is so much to complain about, let's just get on with it, will you? Now, I want to start this movie off with a little disclaimer by saying, I have nothing against Joel Schumacher or the actors involved in this movie, for the absolute train wreck it ended up becoming. In fact, The Lost Boys is still one of my favorite movies from the 80s. That said, I do blame the producers for wanting to make a big-budget toy commercial and wasting everyone's time. Sub-Zero intro is baller. Like, just the, the Bat logo getting, like, frozen. The, what is it, the Warner Brothers logo getting frozen, turning into the Bat logo? Like, that's, that's, like, why has Mortal Kombat not done this? Oh, this movie starts off right away letting you know what you're in for. We've got booty... Nipples and groin shots as Robin and Batman are gearing up, ready to go. We've got more of that. Joel Schumacher. What the fuck? The combined logo is a cool design. I will give them that. Like the Batman, Robin, like overlay thing. That is fine. That's good. The movie starts with a more ridiculous and campier version of the badass Batman Forever opening. Did the ears on Batman's cowl get longer? They look a lot longer or just disproportionate right now. And now, if the bat nipples from the previous film weren't enough, we now have badass. So we have the Batmobile coming back out of the ground again for no reason. And right away, you know something's off when Robin says, I want a car. Chicks dig the car. 
<sighs> Robin makes his stupid. Can I, I want a car. Chicks dig the car. <sighs> no. Everything about this being its Batman rave mobile. The Batmobile just feels like overcompensation. I'm just going to say that. What the hell is up with the Batmobile this time around? The Batmobile looks stupid. The new Batmobile takes everything that was wrong with the last version and amplifies it. That's a stupid line. Robin acting like the petulant child again. Oh, this movie is not starting out well. George Clooney in a bat suit responds, this is why Superman works alone. I mean, we get a Superman reference, so that's kind of nice. I guess. It's really too bad that George Clooney never got a legit chance to play Batman. You can tell he's completely phoning it in because he knows this is a bad movie. The opening sequence again where we're sort of opening on an attack, uh, Mr. Freeze. Again, I'm not really invested. George Clooney just doesn't seem like he wants to be there. I, I bet he would have been awesome given a good script. I mean, he plays a good Bruce Wayne. The problem is his Batman impression isn't any different from his Bruce Wayne. Batman takes off in the uh, in the Batmobile, and then Robin gets his own dinky little motorcycle. Now, I do kind of like that Robin's suit sort of looks like Nightwing, and he has the, you know, the Red Bird as his motorcycle. That was a nice touch. In its own little coffin, and then he takes off after Batman. The first couple lines of this movie are downright terrible, but I'd be willing to let it slide if the entire script wasn't haphazardly cobbled together from awful dialogue, crappy one-liners, and the cheesiest puns this side of the craft factory. And that's when we see Robin's bike, the Redbird, emerge from the same driveway thingy that the Batmobile came out of, which doesn't make any sense. But it gets worse. The bike is encased in a neon coffin that, when opened, makes a Robin symbol over the Bat symbol to reflect the movie's logo just in case we were confused which movie we're watching. The logistics of this entire setup don't make any sense. Are they expecting visitors? Are they putting on a stage play of their exploits for the world to see? The only people who are ever going to appreciate the way Robin's bike makes its entrance are Dick Grayson and Alfred, because Batman is already well on his way to the crime scene and is no passenger vehicle while Robin awaits his motorcycle's very slow reveal. What? So the movie starts out, Batman is signaled, and him and Robin are gearing up and heading out. But it turns out Alfred is dying, but he's trying to hide it from Bruce and Dick. But holy crap, what the hell is up with the Batmobile this time around? Neither one of them are wearing goggles or a helmet at all, and there's no windscreen in front of them, so the, the air is going directly into their eyeballs. If you have ever ridden at high speeds on a motorcycle or a car without goggles or windscreen, that does not work. You cannot see. You could see this thing coming from a state away. It's like a one-vehicle light parade on crack with a see-through spinning engine? Only one seat? No shielding? No canopy? <sighs> Spabobile is stupid. That's what I'm getting at. Not only is it a moving target, it looks like one fender bender would turn it into a pile of shattered china. The original 66 Batmobile looked a thousand times better than this. That's the opposite of a stealth vehicle. Why does it light up like that? Why? What, what's the point of that? The stupid Batmobile. Whatever they, the last one they had in forever, it was wrong. And then they said, let's do that some more. And they made this one even more wrong. This, this Batmobile irritates me. Next, we cut to Batman driving down the longest illuminated gothic style tunnel I have ever seen in his glow-in-the-dark Batmobile with his shiny nipple-adorned blue Batsuit. 
So as Batman and Robin are making their way towards wherever they're going, they get a uh, video screen call from Commissioner Gordon. On the way to where they're going, in the Batmobile, Commissioner Gordon telephones in on a video screen that looks like it would be straight out of Get Smart or Adam West Batman. Clooney pulls up a video screen right above his steering wheel where Commissioner Gordon appears on Skype to beg for Batman's help and explain the plot to the audience. About where the fight is, that it's Mr. Freeze trying to steal this large diamond. Gordon is even more useless in this one. There's a new villain in town. He's calling himself Mr. Freeze. Seriously, even the 60s show had better writing than this. And Mr. Freeze is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he proceeds to tell them uh, uh, about a brand new villain called Mr. Freeze, who is stealing diamonds. Everything from here on out is so damn goofy, and it just continues to get worse from there. I like this part of the movie. It's less than three minutes into this movie, and I'm already mad. Batman and Robin arrive at the Natural History Museum, and... Uh, and Freeze is there stealing the biggest diamond ever. So Freeze looks amazing. Everything about Mr. Freeze is wrong. His outfit is awesome. The lighting is awesome. Both the lighting on people and emitting from people. And one of the dumbest costumes in movie history. This intro stage is amazing. Everything about like this starting scene, like this movie is dumb. Don't get me wrong. This movie is horrible, but at least they did put a lot of TLC into this. Mr. Freeze himself looks absolutely terrible. Like, really, really bad. Now, while I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Mr. Freeze's um, costume, the paint or whatever they use on Arnold's skin, I think, is quite impressive. His face is painted blue, his teeth glow. That I do like. And his shiny silver suit looks like it was ripped off a Cylon from the 70s. And I feel like it's more TLC than the previous one. His ice gun looks like one of those big super soaker squirt guns wrapped in tinfoil. The entire sequence that follows is, is, it's just painful to watch. The very first thing that stood out to me about this movie is that if you want a drinking game with this movie, take a drink or a shot or however you do it, every time Arnold Schwarzenegger says, ah, or ha, or hehehe. No, Bobby, over at Effin Cultured, I'm not going to ferment this film with you. I, my liver will not survive. You will be definitely hammered after the very first uh, five, ten-minute action sequence of the movie, and uh, probably dead by the end. He's seriously miscast. Also, Mr. Freeze's puns throughout the entire movie. He does tons of ice-based puns, and I'm here for all of them. They are grown-worthy dad jokes, and I enjoy them. Just like with the Riddler and Two-Face, Batman the Animated Series did it better. But in this case, the animated series version of Mr. Freeze was a very serious and tragic take with pathos. So much so that the episode they introduced him won an Emmy. Instead, they decided to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to just say ice puns for two hours. I enjoy them for everything they are. Ice to see you. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! The Ice Age! Wait, no, 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 it didn't. That was an asteroid. Which isn't accurate, but you know what? It's, you know what? It's funny. Cool party. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. A freeze is coming. Let's kick some ice. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a fine Mr. Freeze. 
cool party. And why does Mr. Freeze have to use ice puns? Stay cool, bird boy. They just go on throughout the entire movie. Why are there Looney Tunes sound effects in this film? Basically, this is an Adam West Batman movie. To the point where I wish they had just gone all the way and included like the pow and kersplat infographic splash screen things where they cut away and just show that as a special effect. Because they put in a whole bunch of just badly comedic sound effects. During the fight, Freeze's ice gun makes shotgun (laughs) noises while reloading? I know it's a goddamn Warner Brothers property, but come on! There are 90 sound effects everywhere. This movie is uh, goofy, and it's got goofy sound effects. I remember this showing up occasionally in the Mortal Kombat movies, but they they are as whips and whops and woos everywhere. It's it's just so, God, it's so bad. This is the Mortal Kombat annihilation of the Batman franchise. I freeze, I'm Batman, says George Clooney. Can you hear my blood pressure right now? During the fight, this giant diamond's being knocked all over the place. Uh, Robin and Batman are fighting the, uh, Mr. Freeze's cronies. And don't even get me started on the ice skating. This this whole thing really does feel like Batman on ice in not a good way. It's great how Batman and Robin have literally never met Mr. Freeze before, but they have ice skates prepared. It's got convenient Batman utilities like ice skates when they double tap their boots together. Wait, where did those ice skates come from? They have a device that is like a mini little heat ray. They have a mini saw. Why did they come prepared to take on a cold-themed bad guy? And they don't seem at all surprised by this? Like, what? It's just really, really convenient and full of really bad quips. Batman and Robin have ice skates that come out of their boots, which I understand Batman being prepared for any situation, but that's with time to prepare and study his adversary. This is a brand new bad guy. They would not be prepared for this. This entire museum looks fake. The extras are so unconvincing. The special effects are laughable. And even the ice itself looks like plastic. Why does the ice look like plastic and wobble like plastic? Budget, I guess. They couldn't afford ice, so they used plastic shaped like ice. When Batman and Robin show up, Batman kindly introduces himself to Mr. Freeze, while Robin makes a perfect Robin symbol as he busts through the wall on his bike. Mr. Freeze has a rocket built into his drill machine. This is better than anything Batman has. Batman, step up your game. Mr. Freeze is able to uh, to evade them, and he jumps onto his, um, his ice rocket, which shoots out of his tank, and takes off for the upper, lower atmosphere, upper stratosphere? I don't know. It's going up. Eventually, Mr. Freeze gets the diamond, and he blasts off in his rocket ship. Batman grabs a board and gets in. Robin is clinging to the outside. Batman's inside, but gets frozen to the wall. Robin's hanging outside with magnets and can climb up the rocket. And Freeze uses his freeze ray to freeze Batman's hands to the wall. I always wondered why Freeze didn't just kill Batman here. And I finally figured it out this time, on this viewing. Freeze doesn't actually want to kill anyone. He just needs the diamonds to power this device he's building so that he can cure his wife, who has this advanced stage of a disease. 
and every time we get a moment of potential tension or stakes, it's immediately subverted by some one-liner or pun as Robin skydives away from an explosion yelling, Surf's up! Mr. Freeze escapes with the, the diamond and is mothmanning his way down, to, just soaring down back to Earth. And Mr. Freeze has Falcon's wings. DC did it first. Suck it, Falcon. Robin saves Batman before the rocket explodes, which I don't know why that was ex- exploding. Was that just to destroy and kill Batman? And then Robin and Batman surf through the air down to Gotham and somehow survive and don't die. I totally forgot about the sky serving. I don't know why, but I'm getting like PTSD flashbacks from um, what's that one James Bond movie where they surf in the beginning? Uh, the one with the diamonds. Um, die another day. Is that it? Yeah. God, absolutely terrible. Why, why are people surfing in the night? Why? Why surf in 90s? Why do? There are multiple times where Freeze could have just killed Batman and Robin, but he didn't. He only did what he had to do to progress with what he needed. Nothing more. He needed diamonds. He froze Batman's wrists to the rocket ship. In another scene, they're chasing him, and he tries to close the door on them pursuing, but Robin gets through. He has nothing else to do, so he freezes Robin in place. Before they can grab the, the diamond back again, Freeze uh, freezes Robin solid and tells the Bat that he's got 11 minutes to thaw him. And then he lets Batman know that he has 11 minutes to thaw Robin, or basically Robin will die. He didn't have to do that, but he's only doing what he has to. Why 11 minutes? Everyone in this movie needs to invest in pockets. Batman, no pockets. Robin, no pockets. Batgirl, no pockets. Mr. Freeze, no pockets. Everyone loses this damn diamond. And like, how many how many people's hands is it in? In like a minute, minute and a half? Get some pockets, guys. Or at least like a fanny pack. Come on. Like you've got the utility belt, but you ain't got a fanny pack? Mm, pretty shitty utility belt. So Batman and Robin are equipped with these heating lasers. How did they have these for a brand new villain? He tosses Robin easily into a small pool of water that just happens to be by, and then he heats it up with his, with his little red laser. Man, I gotta love, uh, you know, one of my favorite things in reality that this this movie, you know, just exemplifies is that when you heat water, it turns red. It just turns, I love that, you know, you make ramen and the water just turns blood red just to show you that it's hot. Which personally, I love when I boil my water for spaghetti or whatever at home, my water turns bright red. It, clearly, that is how water works when you're heating it up. Upon rewatching this, <laughs> this whole opening sequence, it, it dawned on me, and it continues throughout the whole movie, that it was trying to emulate Adam West Batman of the 60s. It's honestly kind of surprising that we don't see Batman fight a shark off with Bat Shark repellent. The puns, the setup, just the campiness, but it doesn't translate. It, it it fails miserably throughout the entire movie. I get that they were trying to bring back the vibes of the old Adam West show here, but what's great about that version is that it's basically a self-aware spoof. They couldn't pull off the special effects to really do a serious take back then, so they just had fun with it. This time, however, they had a massive budget and a cast of incredible actors, and they squandered all of it. 
And then we have Poison Ivy. After Batman is able to uh, to save Robin, we immediately jump uh, deep into the jungle. Well, Poison Ivy here in uh, Amazonvania, like the Amazon in Transylvania. Amazonvania. Uh, trademark. And we meet Uma Thurman, who is portraying Dr. Pamela Isley, soon to be uh, Poison Ivy. But in this movie, we also get Poison Ivy, played by Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman playing like she's in the 66 Batman show. Who once again was handled extremely well in the animated series, but here Uma Thurman turns the cheese factor up to 11. She's a, a botanist who wants to, uh, to stop mankind destroying the world. She's working at a Wayne Pharmaceutical Lab in South America, trying to crossbreed plants to have venom in order to defend themselves. I mean, that's a little out there, but whatever. It's a comic book movie. She loves nature. Her idea is, how can I help plants survive the human race? Okay. And she's working with, oh god, some crazy scientist? He's the dad. He's Lex Luthor's daddy in Smallville. Dr. Jason Woodrue. That's right. He's, he's there who's trying to create super soldiers. And for some reason, in the middle of this, of, of this jungle, he's got world representatives like Batman 66 all appearing in his lab, bidding on, on the different super soldiers uh, that they're going to see. However, her boss steals her research and ends up creating Bane. And then we have Bane. We see the birth of, uh, of Bane? Plant monster Bane. We're going to call him Bane, just by name only. Then you have Bane, in quotes. Why is Bane a lumbering beast as opposed to a cold, calculated killer that he was in the comics? As bad as Freeze and Poison Ivy are, though, I think the biggest offense it makes with its villains is Bane. When this movie came out, the Nightfall storyline in the comics was still pretty fresh. Bane was the only villain to ever truly defeat Batman. He freaking broke his back. He was terrifying because he was both highly intelligent, tactical, and had the strength advantage because of his reliance on an experimental enhancement serum. I guess that's too sophisticated for the 90s audience. But then in this movie, they reduced him to a joke. You know, we got three villains uh, this time. We got Bane as well, technically. Who's played by some wrestler guy who grunts a lot and turns one of the greatest, strongest, and most cunning Batman villains into a dumb linebacker who moves and thinks slower than a sloth. He shouldn't be in the movie at all, first of all, but he he's really not. <laughs> she has she has the incredible bulk, Bane Hulk, who's even shown as being green uh, as her sidekick. He's basically a mindless henchman for Poison Ivy, who occasionally grumbles and says, Bomb. I kind of love that this is a lot of perhaps a lot of people's first introduction to Bane as a character. <laughs> oh boy. It's just this thing that Poison Ivy makes and they call it Bane. And I think he has one line of dialogue, if I'm not mistaken. And if I'm right, it's worky work. Steppy step. He's large, strong, and extremely stupid. He's like a dumber version of Frankenstein's monster from the old black and white Frankenstein films. Not the actual bane that that we're used to burn um yeah less said about that the better wouldn't it really um bane is a like a mastermind and it just goes to show again that no effort was put into this at all it was just slapped together and it really really feels like it's the worst of every possible world 
Pamela discovers what uh, Dr. Dr. Woodrow is doing and threatens to expose his experiments, which his response is, I'm afraid you'll have to die. Sadly, I'm not good with rejection. I'm afraid you'll have to die. Oh, God, that is such a good line. Like, again, movie is trash, but like that that delivery. This guy, I feel like he could have been better as like an even greater villain. He's He's not in much, but I feel like he has a good switch from like evil salesman to like mad scientist like when he's talking about bane originally it's like okay you know he he's a pretty good salesman and then like in this moment like you see the real him i yeah he was a better he yeah probably the best character in this movie i'm kidding that's arnold and then he kills her and just pushes her over a table where poison and venom and toxins uh, drag her down into the earth But, fortunately for her, the plant saved her, I think. The ground just swallows her for reasons. And she becomes Poison Ivy. So she kills her boss and takes Bane with her. And here's the thing. I love Uma Thurman. Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill are some of my favorite movies of all time. She's fantastic. And I also really like Poison Ivy as a character. But I can't stand Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy in this movie. Back in the Batcave, Alfred, Bruce, and uh, Robin are learning about Mr. Freeze and how he was he was created while trying to find a a cure for uh, for his wife with a, a disease that she has. Okay, so like weird thing uh, that I didn't notice in these movies: every movie after Batman '89, the like screen room in the Batcave, their computer, you know, let's observe observation room. There we go they get worse. There are like fewer screens. And even into this one where it's like, I have a moderately sized TV built into the wall. And it's like, you just have one, like one screen. Like if, if I need to do anything serious in life, I need at least a second monitor and like a third would be great. So like how, how's he getting by with like, just come on, Batman, come on. Alfred, Bruce, and uh, Robin are learning about Mr. Freeze and how he was he was created. He falls into a, a vat of, of stuff, just like most of Batman's rogue gallery. I'm seeing a pattern now. I may be wrong, but I think that this movie has some kind of world record for rapid-fire origin stories because we get Bane, Poison Ivy... And Mr. Freeze all within about five minutes. And if they had wanted to, they easily could have snuck in the Floridic Man there uh, with Jason Woodrue being just right there. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I feel like that's 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 an achievement that deserves some kind of uh, recognition. Here is where you can tell that there really is no difference between George Clooney as Bruce Wayne or Batman. He's the same. Michael Keaton was able to differentiate it. Even Val Kilmer, to a point, could differentiate the two characters that he was playing. George Clooney either doesn't care or is just awful and doesn't understand the concept. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a fine Mr. Freeze. I don't think it was necessary to explain that he's also an athlete and show him tossing around dudes like he's the icy version of Bane. I mean, Dolph Lundgren has a master's degree in chemical engineering and got a Fulbright scholarship to MIT. Like, big, strong people can also be scientists. That's fine. I feel that it was 
is, is like Arnold Schwarzenegger just such an imposing physical presence that they're like, we gotta explain this. We can't. We can't just have him be a smart man. We gotta explain why he's such a giant person. That felt very, very unnecessary to me. We find out that Dr. Pamela Isley uh, did not die due to all the toxins. She has uh, mutated into poison ivy and just kills Woodrow by kissing him and poisoning him with her venom from her lips. You might be asking, but why does boys poison ivy sound like Mae West is a fast-talking film noir reporter with an occasional British accent? Obviously a side effect of being doused with a chemical cocktail of various acids, poisons, and super soldier serum. So no, that is not a good criticism of the lovely, the talented Uma Thurman. Ivy then says she wants plants to take over the world, so she starts a fire in the lab and takes off for Gotham City. Okay, so from... Bane is created, right? So he's standing there, and um, Poison Ivy gets dropped into the floor and then returns... And Bane is still standing there. And it's like, how many days has it been? How many days has Bane been standing in that exact same spot? That was so funny. Yeah, no, I, it's still funny. That's great. Oh, and she also takes Bane with her because why not? She needs a stupid handyman to just haul her stuff around. We see Mr. Freeze's hideout where he's got a bunch of uh, cronies that are singing whatever the Rankins and Bass Christmas um, Christmas film is. I like that this movie gives us a bit of a glimpse into the world of themed henchmen in the Gotham universe. He's got these, like, I guess they're called hockey thugs in the credits. They're all dressed up in white and have, uh, it looks like, hockey sticks and glitter, which is uh, glorious. It's kind of like a, a sick joke to ever even think that Freeze would like his his condition so much so that he wants to watch the 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 white Christmas movie, you know, I'm Mr. Snow, and have people sing it in chorus and live in an ice cream factory. <laughs> like you'd think this would be more tragic, but it's not. It's not all bad for them. Mr. Freeze definitely seems to pay for their lunches. Bad news, lunch is frozen dinner on a stick. And lunchtime entertainment is them singing the Snow Miser song. So, yeah, being a henchman kind of sucks. It turns out later that Freeze, as a scientist, cured, like, stage one of this disease. But his wife is farther advanced than that, and so she's kind of in cryogenic stasis. So really... Freeze only ever freezes people when he has to. Or sometimes he just does it to his goons to keep them in line. Like, he's not necessarily a pure villain, but he's in charge of a bunch of goons, and understandably so, one way to assert power and dominance is to just occasionally freeze them for minor reasons. Makes perfect sense. So Mr. Freeze's plan is to freeze Gotham to hold them hostage for money to finish his research. His diamond-powered cold suit is this, the silliest thing in the world. Uh, he has to steal diamonds to power his cold suit so then he can hold Gotham hostage to get more money. It just, I don't know, it feels... <laughs> feels like it was not a not a really well thought out thing 
that doesn't how, why why does he need money to finish his research if he's got his lab he's got everything right there he can continue the research right now he can even just he's stealing diamonds to power his suit he can steal other stuff in addition to that and continue his research I, it makes no sense what what would he do with more money that said his his all white smoking jacket and ascot mm, on point Definitely, definitely he availed himself of some of the fine costuming tailors in the seedy underbelly of Gotham there. If you're a fan of this podcast and want to see it continue, help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock tons of exclusive content, including, but not limited to, movie commentaries, ad-free versions of our promo specials, extended cuts, early access to new episodes, behind-the-scenes clips, first access to merchandise, blooper reels, and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our podcasters' disassembled episodes. Just head right on over to patreon.com slash podcastersassemble. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash podcastersassemble. Link in the show notes. Do you like video games? Of course you do. Do you believe people should have positive mental health? Also, of course you do. Then come join me on Dragoon Effect, an audio-only Let's Play podcast that cares about your mental health. Come listen as I play through games like Alan Wake, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice, Doki Doki Literature Club, and talk about my life and my mental health and encourage others to do what's best for them and talk about it openly. We hope to see you soon. Quick question. Why why is Batgirl in this movie? Ah, we meet Alicia Silverstone, who is uh, playing Barbara Gordon. What? Well, I know Gordon's an idiot. Barbara Wilson. Who the, who the hell's Wilson? The volleyball? Alfred? What? Don't get me wrong, I think Barbara Gordon is a great character in the comics. But not only is this not Barbara Gordon, they made her Alfred's niece instead of Commissioner Gordon's daughter for some reason. It's just not Batgirl. Apparently her parents died in a uh, car accident, so she is off to live with her uncle Alfred, who is very close to her mother, Margaret. Oh, Alicia Silverstone also plays Barbara, who is Alfred's niece and becomes Batwoman. I don't know why they did that. I guess it was the only way they could think of for an excuse for Batwoman to suddenly appear. I have nothing against Alicia Silverstone, but she's not good in this. And everything about her storyline feels shoehorned in in the last minute. Oh, hey, she's exactly like Dick Grayson. Uh, She leaves as soon as she gets there. No one told her she had to stay. No one told her she couldn't go outside, but she's sneaking out. That makes sense. Bruce says that uh, that Barbara will be staying with them at the mansion, and she proceeds to sneak out for some reason and steal a motorcycle. It all kind of feels like maybe they should have burned this script and started over from scratch. Wayne Enterprises is presenting a brand new telescope at the Gotham Observatory during a press conference. But yeah, that giant statue is holding aloft the Gotham Observatory, and that's amazing. Every city should be building one of those right now. Bruce is there with a new, another girlfriend. He's got a different girl for every movie. She then, in her 
normal state, I guess you could say. She writes up a proposal, gets an in with Bruce Wayne, and pitches it. Poison Ivy in disguise uh, interrupts Bruce and pro- uh, proposes a project that could help the environment. But Bruce says it would cost too much money, uh, cost too many lives, people would starve, people would freeze, millions of people would die. He reads it and dismisses it, saying humans come first, the measures are too extreme. Wow. Uh, Yet again, 21st century billionaire exploiting capitalism. He could have taken the proposal and said something like, there are some good ideas in here, but I don't think we can jump straight to them. Could you write a proposal that transitions us there? Let's meet on Monday. Here's my personal business card and cell phone. He could have thwarted a villain again by having a conversation. Which I'm sure it is true because she, Ivy is a kind of eco-terrorist, but... I mean, Bruce just shuts her down, unlike Val Kilmer did to, to what's-his-face? Whatever the Riddler's name was before. Yeah, Mr. Enigma. Edward Enigma. Bruce turned him down only when pressured. He was willing to talk to him and come up with a solution. This Bruce is like, nah, I'm not even going to try to meet you halfway. Just, nah. That's too hard. I don't want to. Oh, also, during this conversation, they... Name drop Batman and Robin as the protectors of Gotham for really no reason other than Poison Ivy to go, oh, now here's the people I need to take out that are protecting the city. And I just realized, for sure in Batman 89, there's a conversation with Joker. For sure in Batman Returns, there's a conversation with Catwoman, if not Penguin. So, after being rejected, Poison Ivy goes off. She gets really upset, and she ends up being a villain too. Also, while we're at the observatory, is Gotham in New Jersey? It looks like Gotham is in New Jersey. Also, I think Gotham is in New Jersey, for what that's worth. Batman and Robin decide to uh, lure Freeze out by using the Wayne family diamonds, and they present them at the Wayne Enterprises charity event. Poison Ivy and Bane also attend the event under disguise. And she uses her abilities to uh, to seduce Batman and Robin so that they can uh, begin fighting over her. So during this charity event, there's a lot of old older gentlemen there that are bidding with different um, different women that are up on stage. Are are these guys bidding on women? Because that's what it looks like. It looks like they are bidding tens of thousands of dollars for different women on stage. Why does Poison Ivy use her pheromone in every other scene? I mean, I guess if you have the ability, use it, right? Honestly, Poison Ivy should have been in the previous movie, the far superior Batman Forever, superior to the two uh, Joel Schumacher movies. I don't know. I mean, I probably like Batman Forever better than Batman Returns, but whatever. Batman Forever had some problems and Poison Ivy could have fixed it. I think we could have axed either Tommy Lee or Jim Carrey. One of the two, I mentioned it before, the vibe was too similar. So throw in Poison Ivy and yeah, got a much better movie, much better movie. I mean, I'm glad she's in this one because it helps. So while Batman and Robin are arguing over who's going to um, take Ivy home, Batman has... A bat card. Bat card. Never leave home without it. Everything about this being its Batman credit card. At one point, Batman shows a credit card and it goes ka-ching. 
And there's just so many others. I think some goons trip and it goes like, whoa, 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 boing. Maybe you could get away with that. Well, no, you couldn't. There's really no way to get away with it. It's stupid. The bat card is stupid. This, this movie is getting dumber. Press conferences, 900-story tall statues, day glow and neon and spotlights everywhere. Freeze crashes the party so that he can uh, he can take the, the diamonds. And, oh my God, 90s sound effects everywhere. And why? For the love of God, why does Mr. Freeze have to use ice puns? Everything that Arnold does that's an ice-based pun... I'm all for it. Schwarzenegger is perfect for this kind of snarky, action-y kind of thing. I mean, he can he can deliver those really terrible action movie joke lines like a professional because I think arguably if he's not the inventor or the, the person first using this trope, he was definitely in the forerunner of the snarky action person lines. Freeze is able to uh, take the diamonds from Poison Ivy because her uh, entrance, her her what is her powder that she blows, that she sneezes in general directions, it can't work on him because he has a cold heart. Okay, sure, he's still a living, breathing thing. Freeze takes off with the, with the diamonds, and uh, and then we're on this chase across these city streets way the hell up in the air visually it's kind of a mess it does the same thing as the other movie where it gives us a sort of neon gotham and then jarringly i think there's like one or two scenes where we're actually real world outside and not on a set and it stands out so so aggressively that it really throws you out of the movie what is with all these giant freaking statues randomly in gotham what the hell has happened to gotham city that said, I love that the continuing saga of the ballooning statue budget in Gotham is documented here. We have a car chase down the arm of a giant statue. It really shows us how huge these statues are supposed to be. That car chase on the statue also shows us how out of control Gotham's Department of Transportation is. Why does a city without flying cars need roads running between skyscrapers? That's just bad governance. During the chase scene, the the cronies of Freezes get destroyed. They crash. Uh, Batman shuts down Robin's bike because he's being overprotective of Robin. And the billionaire playboy, philanthropist, I need to look good in public, is not having it. Not trying. Putting the little guy down. Shoving his boot in his face and saying, take that. You deserve it. Because you're not rich like me. We see this exact same scenario throughout the whole, at least United States, if not the whole world. More and more and more, especially since coronavirus came. And then Batman beats Freeze off screen. That is so weak. Really? Mr. Freeze is transported to Arkham Asylum in a refrigerator? Okay, so I've already mentioned, uh, and if I haven't gushed over enough, but like Freeze's makeup, absolutely amazing throughout this entire film. Like, I genuinely love it. This is good makeup. The scene when he's like, he's brought into Arkham and he's in the, you know, the freeze ray 
to live and then he tries to escape like the makeup there looks amazing too like as he is dying from regular ass temperatures so good so good i'm pretty sure one of those guards is jesse the body ventura who arnold worked with uh in predator and a couple of other other movies Ivy and Bane need a uh, secret headquarters to, to operate out of, so they go underground and find a, a closed-down Turkish bath that is inhabited by cannibals? Is, is that what they're, they are? Detective Bane is my favorite Bane. Would that be um, Bane Tracy or Dick Banesy? Either way, I would also own this action figure. That would be so great. Like, authentic snoop-smashing powers. We get a lot more 90s sound effects, and then we have Poison Ivy taking over, planting some seeds, and a lot of CGI plants, and this CGI looks freaking awful. Back at the mansion, Barbara is stealing another motorcycle to go out someplace. Is this the same night? Did she come back and steal another motorcycle? I can't, I don't know. We also get an impromptu motorcycle chase in the middle of this movie with a super random cameo from Coolio. Apparently she's out motorcycle racing and uh, Robin follows her. This is how she's getting all of her money so that she can pay back her, her uncle Alfred that has done so much for her. Later in the movie, there's this illegal street racing scene with Alicia Silverstone that also gives us another wonderful glimpse into this seedy underbelly of Gotham. Okay, so weird standout scene and uh, like the lighting in this movie has been a lot, lot better than the previous one. Uh, I wouldn't say that there's anything bad, but as far as just like a standout scene, there is something about the whole gang walking to see the competition racer. That scene looks really cool. I would also like to note the competition racer has a uh, competition luggage bags because you know, you never know when you're going to need to carry something while you're competitively racing. So we've got some illegal um, street racing with these motorcycles and Barbara is uh, one of the racers, and then Robin just shows up to join her. How did Robin buy into this race? She had to pay Coolio to, to, to be involved. We get to see a, a, a good number of the very heavily themed gangs in Gotham, such as the uh, One-Eyed Aristocrats, the New Droogs, the Kiss Army Rejects, notable for allowing children in their gang, the Leather Saddies, the Neon Karens, and the Spiky Clowns. That is a pretty impressive collection of themed <laughs> villainy. This is obviously the minor leagues of henchmen in Gotham. <laughs> this, uh, this motorcycle race has dudes from Clockwork Orange, Mad Max, The Lost Boys. They can't. There's like so many different movies that are referenced in this one thing. And uh, Coolio, don't don't forget Coolio with his whack hair that that man has maintained for his entire life. Like, A-plus job on the branding, my dude. If you're like a wannabe villain and, and you want to get your, your team, you can just recruit a whole themed gang at once. You could probably keep their existing theme, maybe make some minor tweaks, but you already know that they are good at following the theme, and also at least someone on their team has some pretty sharp costuming skills. So that is going to go a long way <laughs> in your new career of villainy. Well, one of the racers uh, is a cheater. He's got a bunch of cronies, and they, they screw over Barbara and, and Robin, which uh, Robin is able to save her so that she doesn't uh, fall to her death. And to be honest, even though it doesn't fit in a Batman movie whatsoever... 
I do think this is probably the best sequence in the movie, which isn't saying much. Robin and Barbara return back to uh, back to the mansion where we learn that Alfred is dying and Bruce is already aware of that. It's a whole subplot that I don't know that they needed. I'm not entirely sure the purpose of it because his illness isn't why Barbara came. She just came because Alfred has been helping her with college and stuff ever since her parents died. And she's now made enough money back that she wants to pay him back, but also wants to see him because she loves her uncle. Whatever. Over at Arkham Asylum, we get a, a fun little item cameo of Riddler and Two-Face gear in, in lockup. There were two sort of campy moments that I did enjoy, and it's got nothing to do with any of the major action sequences or anything like that, because the entire movie is over-the-top camp, but to the point of annoyance, more than, uh, you know, fun that the Batman Forever was having. It was the... Uh, the glimpse of the criminal property locker in Arkham Asylum, where you got to see both the Joker and Two-Face's outfits uh, being held in storage, and the guy's just sitting there with the newspaper just reading through it. I kind of find that funny. I think that was a nice visual gag. I had no problem with that whatsoever. (laughs) That dumb sequence of Bane delivering Mr. Freeze's freeze gear is truly boss-level Uber Eats delivery. Like, (laughs) it's absolutely great. A laundry service that delivers a horrible accent, but like, ah, Arnold, you have the best lines in this entire movie. As Poison Ivy and Bane um, proceed to break Freeze out of prison, Bane apparently can't punch through reinforced steel, but Mr. Freeze can freeze the pipes and the wall explode so that they can escape by jumping down into a river. I sound like I'm trying to apply logic to this movie. I am not going to do that. Eventually, she teams up with Mr. Freeze. The plot in this one is nonsense. Basically, Batman and Robin, with some help from Barbara Pennyworth, have to stop the combined forces of Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy from either freezing Gotham and or turning it into a tropical paradise for nature to take over. A really goofy set of scenarios happen. Of course, uh, a woman who wants plants and a man who wants to freeze the world are not going to have overlapping goals and opinions so I'm not going to apply any kind of logic to this movie I'm I'm a little confused their villain plots don't exactly add up logistically like how's that work though there is no reason for anything to happen in this movie Freeze needs to go get more uh, diamonds from his hideout so he can repower his suit he convinces Ivy to go uh, rescue his, his wife who is cryogenically frozen in his hideout. Batman and Robin are there along with Commissioner Gordon and a bunch of police officers. Robin and Batman attempt to apprehend Poison Ivy, but she is again uh, entrancing them with her her spores. Why does Poison Ivy use her pheromone in every other scene? And they begin uh, fighting a little bit. Also, Bane shows up, and this whole fight scene is awful. And there are so many cuts during fight scenes... I don't know why they bothered with the choreography and didn't do different choreography. Because it's like, cut, 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 cut. I think I counted one scene had like 20 cuts inside of a couple minutes. It was insane. I don't know why you would do that. Maybe that was the thing in the 90s. And George Clooney's cowl of Batman doesn't doesn't even fit his face. It just keeps swinging left and right during this entire horrible fight scene. Batman and Robin get testy with each other, and and Batman throws Robin into some green goop, which I wonder if Batman now created another supervillain, because that's how all of his rogue galleries are made, falling into goop. 
And no, I'm not talking about Gwyneth Paltrow's company that makes weird vagina candles. And uh, sort of a callback to Batman Returns when uh, Penguin was talking to Catwoman and uh, talking about just the pussy he wants to see. Well, this one is uh, when Batman is talking to Robin and uh, Robin's about to run off because he's been uh, entrapped by uh, Poison Ivy's pheromones and uh, he's going to go off and Batman's trying to talk sense into him and says, she's trying to kill you, dick. Again, just a funny uh, double entendre. But, uh, yeah, it, that, that's the best of campiness that um, comes from that. That's all it's going to get. Ivy kills Freeze's wife and uh, steals her necklace and ends up convincing Freeze that um, the world needs to die, that they should kill everything so it's just her and Mr. Freeze and then the plants can take over. We learn a little bit more about uh, Alfred. He is dying of stage one uh, McGregor syndrome, which is the same sickness that Mr. Freeze's wife is... um, dying of. She's at stage two or three and Alfred is at stage one, which does have a, uh, a cure. Okay, so I had to look it up because it, it looks really familiar. The computer that Alfred is using is really interesting. It's it's very unique, but it is the Apple 20th anniversary Macintosh computer. It's kind of dumb because it honestly reminds me of like a B&O, uh, Bong & Olufsen CD player that I was aware of like decades ago. It doesn't seem like this makes a, a ton of sense, but like it is such a unique piece of equipment. Um, if you ever get the opportunity to, to go into like a, a tech museum or something, look for one of those. They are really trippy to see in person. We learn a little bit more about Robin being a whiny bitch because he doesn't like Batman being overprotective. Now, there's also another charity event or celebration going on, I guess. Commissioner Gordon is there, and, and Ivy is again um, in disguise, and she entrances Gordon to get his keys to the um, to the bat signal. Commissioner Gordon just gets more and more useless through these this quadrology of movies. Now he's just a bumbling idiot. Ivy and Bane make their way to the uh, the top of the police station to steal the bat signal. But why is the bat signal on right now? What is going on that they would need Batman for? You know, we get a good scene, and I'm going to use it lightly, a, a good scene between Bruce and Alfred. For me, the best and most standout moments for this movie. The scenes between Bruce and Alfred are so perfect, they feel like they belong in an entirely different film. The plot revolving around Alfred... Those were the biggest highlights for me, and they were the quietest moments of the film. Given that we've already had three movies with this character, and he has been the only consistent thing from beginning to end, is Alfred. I actually really like what they do with Alfred in this movie. If there's one saving grace from this, it's a genuine affection that he seems to portray towards Bruce. It's played up a little less with Barbara, who comes in as his niece, that feels just forced and it, it, it because probably we didn't have any lead up to this if perhaps she'd been introduced in Batman Forever and then it sort of came through into this movie then that might have been okay but that just felt like oh it's a generic older relative who is just being very affectionate to his niece it's not there's nothing creepy about it which is nice they, they didn't accidentally veer into some very dodgy territories but it didn't feel like it had enough weight to it as opposed to when he's talking to Bruce Wayne. It's an awful scene with Clooney. He is just mailing this in. Michael Go, Gao, Go, whoever plays 
Alfred, he he's really the heart and soul of, of this whole movie and these four films. That scene there, I, I do enjoy, even though Clooney is just the worst. One of the things, again, that lets down the George Clooney element for me is that he's not batting it back. There isn't two actors in the scenes they're sharing. It is one actor, uh, Alfred on his deathbed, very ill, realizing that you know he's coming to possibly the end of his life and he won't be there for Bruce as he was throughout the past. And George Clooney's not batting that back. He's not coming back at it. He just seems to be uh, there taking these lines and not really reacting to it um, as I'd expect he would, as I expect that George Clooney now would actually do that. Earlier in the film, Alfred had given Barbara a, a CD uh, for her to give to his brother. Alfred was dying. He's hoping that his he can find his brother and his brother would then come to Gotham and be the butler to help out Batman and Robin uh, with their, their mission to protect Gotham and, and fighting crime. Barbara hacks the CD by guessing Alfred's password, which was not very hard, and then is greeted with a, a litany of just bat information, bat batmobiles, bat boats, bat wings, everything, apparently all in the CD. A really goofy set of scenarios happen. Ivy has changed the bat signal to just the Robin signal to entice him to come to her so that she can kill him so he's no longer a threat. Bruce convinces Dick to uh, to trust him and bring protection. Giggity. Freeze and Bane head over to uh, Observatory and take that over. But yeah, that giant statue is holding aloft the Gotham Observatory, and that's amazing. Bane continues to just wander around being a muscle-bound idiot, putting down bombs. Well, okay, so I, I did really like the, the freeze gear delivery, but I was, like, rolling when Bane has the ice bombs, and he's just like, bomb, bomb. And every time, just going, bomb, bomb. And he puts each one of them down. Like, there, I think there's a difference between, like, Lunkhead and then what Bane is. Um, Bane is like barely brain functioning. Like his brain exists only to operate his body. And like beyond that, there's nothing. God, they ruined the character. Barbara finds her way down into the bat cave where we get a, a recording of Alfred on the bat computer greeting her. And apparently had, um, he knew her measurements because he has a bat girl uniform, uh, for her ready to go. So now we get some bat crotch, bat booty, bat boobs. This feels wrong. It was wrong before, and it feels more wrong now. Ivy's final set in the uh, giant real flower is great. I'm glad this movie does have like a lot of CG stuff in it, but I'm glad that they did not go with CG in this moment. That whole stage is great. <laughs> and somehow uh, we are now two for two where a red-haired character has basically the same style at the very end she is basically just the female riddler at this point robin meets up with ivy and finds out that yes she was trying to kill him so thank god he was wearing his lip condoms which after he took those off she could have just kissed him and killed him but instead kicks him into into the water where he starts to i guess drown batman shows up and uh poison ivy controls the vines to lift him up into the into the ceiling and his cape is attached by strings to his legs, so it um, 
He doesn't look like an idiot with his cape uh, underneath him. Looks so stupid. And then Batgirl shows up to, to save Batman and Robin. A horrible fight between Ivy and, and Batgirl happens. And during this fight, Ivy says how she killed Lady Freeze. This fight is just choreographed awful. It, Jesus. It, every film, every fight in this film is just awful. Batgirl beats Ivy by kicking her back into a plant. And then the giant plant eats poison ivy. But if Ivy is in charge of all the plants, why would the plant eat her? It makes no sense. Batman frees himself from the plants. Robin gets out of the water because he remembered how to swim. Towards the end, Batman and Robin stop fighting over Poison Ivy long enough for Batgirl to save them. Then the three team up to stop Mr. Freeze from freezing Gotham City. Except they don't because he ends up freezing the entire city over at the gotham observatory freeze begins to freeze gotham but then but then what he's gonna freeze the entire world from gotham and that's not that's not gonna work you gotta love after this moment like the city's you know city's going to shit because you know mr freeze is taking it over instead of going to the problem immediately every single one of them went home and changed Literally from the poison ivy scene where they're all wearing black and literally we also we just just met Batgirl and she just went and changed. She's been wearing that outfit for like 15 minutes and now she's changed into the silver adorned one because, you know, you got you got to look the part really like that's the prime thing with being a superhero is like you got to look the part when fighting, you know, specific villains Batman, Robin, and Batgirl are all making their way to to the observatory to uh, to fight Freeze, which we have uh, new vehicles, so that's great for the kids as toys. This movie is saturated with marketing and over-the-top advertising for you know toys, and, and it's so obviously just a toy ad in a movie uh, in a two-hour format that it, it doesn't want to give any leeway to uh, a kind of depth or performance you know Val Kilmer's performance in, in ba- Batman Forever at least alluded to something there was that uh, that theme of the duality of Batman running through the whole thing this had nothing for George Clooney to do he was there to look good in the suit which he did it, you know bat nipples and bat butts and all but there was nothing given to him a really goofy set of scenarios happen and we also have new uh, costumes specifically for fighting Freeze. So we had time to change our costumes. Even though Gotham is being frozen and you only have 11 minutes to, to thaw everybody, we had time to switch out our bat nipples for ones that have silver lining. Great. Why does the ice look like plastic and wobble like plastic? Budget, I guess. They couldn't afford ice, so they used plastic shaped like ice. Uh, you know, every single thing about this movie is cheap, lazy, campy, and just just shit. They fight their way to the observatory and they figure out that they can use the satellites to thaw Gotham within 11 minutes. But they're somehow able to reverse it with laser satellites or something straight out of Diamonds or Forever. Okay, so something small and kind of real dumb, but I, I feel like this is kind of like it's been needed for four movies now. In the very first film, in the 89 film, let me correct myself, 
Um, there is that brief scene that makes no sense, but Keaton is hanging upside down, almost like a bat, but he's hanging upside down doing like an exercise, like breathing practice, something like that. In this film already, we had seen an instance when Robin hung by a foot, no big deal, but now hanging from the giant laser, we see Batman hanging by his feet in much the same way that Keaton was. And that's really cool. I almost wish that both were in the same film, the the you seeing someone hang and then paying it off. But at the same time, it's kind of neat that they did have, maybe it was even an accident, but like it's still there. Like the first film shows that this is something that he does, even though he doesn't do it for that film or the following two. And then in this one, the fourth film of this series, Batman hangs by his feet. Freeze and Bane show up and the trio is split. Freeze fighting... Batman one-on-one while Bane fights Robin and Batgirl. Both fights are just awful. They they are horrible. I saw better fighting during Mortal Kombat Annihilation than I saw in this movie. <laughs> the, the magnifying glass scene where like Mr. Freeze pops up in front of it. God, like this is so zany. And this was done right because it's like I don't really feel like there's really much in the way of any seriousness here. Like Freeze's line delivery or his lines are all bad, but his delivery is good for all of them. And I feel like that does work to where like I do, I feel like when he feels bad, like I, I feel like I can relate to that character much more so than like Nygma or Two-Face. You know, the hacking and science and physics aside, it's all extremely dumb. There's a lot of things about this movie that don't make sense, but the most baffling is the layout of a keyboard we're shown in the observatory to, on the observatory telescope. It's not a standard QWERTY layout or even a more obscure Dvorak. It's using UW Carney, which seems to only exist in this movie. So someone in the prop department took time to build a fucked up keyboard instead of just using a regular keyboard and maybe spray painting it black or something. Why? What possible reason could someone have to create a whole new keyboard layout and then show it on screen? It, I don't know. And it is a good thing that these two scientists who were working on the laser are world record holding pull-up champs because they have been hanging on to that thing. It's 11 minutes, right? Until everyone dies. They have been hanging on to it for longer than that. So you're like 15 minutes. I, I could never do a pull-up hold for that long. Not in my wildest dreams. So congrats to them. I don't know. Batman, Robin, and and Batgirl begin to thaw the city using the, the telescope, which is apparently powered by sunlight. And the observatory looks down upon Gotham, up, upon the entire city. But yet, when Robin and Batgirl and the scientist and the telescope all fall off the observatory, it falls down a desolate cliff. There are no buildings. It's just, it falls down and there's just nothing around. So where is the city? If you're looking out and down at the city, how is there no city? How are you at the edge of a cliff in the city? But then Mr. Freeze somehow sees the error of his ways and then conveniently happens to have the cure for Alfred's rare disease on him? 
So Batman defeats Freeze, and he is able to convince him to uh, to help cure Alfred because he happens to have a video of Poison Ivy saying that she was the one who killed Freeze's wife, which was conveniently recorded by Batman while his hands were bound and he was up in the vines. Sure, whatever. Then later, at the end of the movie, that's when Batman has a conversation with Freeze after he's been stricken with grief because he thinks his wife is dead. And so he's like, well, I have nothing left to live for. Everyone else is going down with me. That's when you have the conversation. You could have prevented this whole thing, Batman. Everyone's deaths, all the property destruction, it's all your fault. At least from a Mr. Freeze standpoint. But Batman reveals that Freeze's wife is still alive and that he can continue working on a cure in Arkham Asylum for his wife, Batman just needs the cure for stage one of McGregor syndrome. And Alfred is dying of the same disease that Freeze's wife is, but he's only in stage one. So Freeze gives him the cure when Batman tells him that from Arkham, they'll transfer his wife who isn't dead. They were able to save her and he can continue his research there trying to cure her. And Freeze gives him the, the, the antidote, the cure, which he happens to just have on his person, I I guess. But if he had the cure for McGregor syndrome, and that was what his wife had, which is why he was ransoming the city in the first place to pay f- for a cure for his wife, then why did he... Oh, jeez. I think my brain just tried to kill itself. Everything about this being it's rubber-lipped, nipple on the suit, surfs up piece of I hate this movie. And why? For the love of God, why does Mr. Freeze have to use ice puns? By the end of the movie, I was like, get f***ed, you big, bald, blue knob. I have never hated Arnold Schwarzenegger so much in my life. I do not find any redeeming qualities in it. So, to summarize, I guess you think I don't like it. And that is true. There's really nothing else I can talk about. The ending is just the ending. Uh, It's kind of nice to have one villain turning on the other villain at the very end when he realises that Poison Ivy was trying to kill his wife, that Mr. Freeze then goes and enacts some sort of revenge unseen off camera. We head back to the Batcave. Bruce gives Alfred the cure. Freeze and Ivy are going to be kept in Arkham together and... Freeze will be taking out his revenge on her since she tried to murder his wife. After Freeze scares Ivy in Arkham Asylum, we switch back to Wayne Manor. There is pizza on the table. That is the pizza that was canceled at the beginning of the movie, and this is how this movie is sandwiched with pizza. And then we find out that Alfred is cured and all is well, and ho-ho! We're going to need a bigger bat cave. The movie ends with Alfred saying, we're going to need a bigger cave and all's right in the world, except it's not because I want my money back and I can't believe I just wasted my time watching this movie again. (sighs) A really goofy set of scenarios happen. And in the end, Batman and Robin technically saved the day. And then the movie ends with Batman, Robin, and Batgirl all running towards the screen. Or maybe running away from this movie because this this was what we thought was the end of the Batman franchise forever. Really 
really feels like it's the worst of every possible world. There's so much that could have been done with this movie and wasn't. It was just nothing entertainment. And I am so glad that I will never have to watch this ever again. Please don't make me watch this ever again. Like, f*** this movie, man. Yeah, this movie's not great. I was gonna try and be devil's advocate here to try and defend this one uh, for its re- redeeming qualities, but that's the problem. I, I really couldn't find any. It's totally a very, very, very over-the-top campy. I mentioned this earlier. Batman and Robin feels like they took the idea of Adam West... Batman from the 60s and tried to do it again but it did not translate it just it came off awful half-assed a horrible horrible movie and you know what you can have a horrible movie and you can still have fun with them I don't know if I will ever watch this movie again at least I will never want to watch this movie again I probably will as my son gets older and Maybe if he has an interest in in superheroes and and comic books, we'll make our way through the uh, the movies. But for me, I have no plans to ever watch this film again. I've watched this film more than once because I can see the remnants of a good movie in there. Just look at two of the main plot points. Batman and Robin are struggling as partners. Alfred is on his deathbed. Those two things alone are already compelling narratives to work with. And if there are any highlights to this movie, those are it. The villain choices are interesting. Mr. Freeze, I was aware of from Batman the Animated Series more than the comics. I hadn't really read anything from that. Of course, I knew Mr. Freeze had been a character in 66, but the one from the Animated Series is the one that probably had the most impact on me. And obviously, there were some fantastic, really dark, wonderful storylines, deep storylines from uh, Victor von Freeze in the animated series so to then con- completely send that up and just have Arnold Schwarzenegger having it up and just being the Iceman cometh and just over the top it, I don't know it just it ruined what could potentially have been a very interesting take on the character this is accidentally the story of the 21st century so far the multi-billionaire quote-unquote philanthropist because that's how he's going to come across would rather get off by flexing his power and having everything pointed at him. Heck, in this movie, it seems like Batman is actively avoiding the shadows. Unlike Batman 89, where he first appears from the shadows to take out goons. Instead of actually seeing the issues and lending a hand to a man stricken by grief who can't afford the rising costs of healthcare, in this case the diamonds, that he needs because of how diamonds work to power his machine, Batman would rather straight up just attack him and have the spotlight shown on him. Like, I'm awesome, I'm Batman. You look stereotypically terrifying, so I'm gonna fight you. There's a very reasonable chance that a conversation and working together with Freeze could have saved his wife. Bottom line for me, this movie is not quite weird enough to make it fully camp, and it's not fast-paced enough to be fun. It it truly is just a, a live-action cartoon, which kind of dovetails nicely into the next thing I want to say. Here are the things that I've learned 
watching these four Batman movies, starting with Batman 89. The two Tim Burton movies take place on Earth 89. The two Joel Schumacher movies take place on Earth 97. Close observation will show that on Earth 97, they're operating at maybe 0.75 of normal Earth gravity. There's a comic book sequel to the Tim Burton movies called, appropriately enough, Batman 89. It's written by Sam Hamm, the writer of those movies, and has the Billy Dee Williams version of Harvey Dent becoming Two-Face. Forever is a piece right? Batman 3 sucked, I, in my opinion, all right? And I know there's some people that really like it, and I'm not saying you're wrong for liking it, but in my book, uh, you can file it under S for shit. Michael Keaton is a really good Bruce Wayne and a pretty good Batman. I would rank George Clooney probably above any of the uh, the Batmans out there, um, including Christian Bale for the other, the other Batmans movie. George Clooney uh, is my least favorite Batman, I think, ever, anywhere, upon any point. Yeah, George Clooney, I think, is probably the pinnacle of of Batman on the on the silver screen. Of course, Michael Keaton pretty much invented using a deep voice as a disguise, the eyeglasses equivalent from Superman as a disguise, and uh, we should always honor that, even if he's not the best. That said, I would watch Batman Forever on a loop, Total Recall, Clockwork Orange style, with a thing that like, holds your eyes open. Then I would watch one scene of this piece of shit, unless it was to show somebody, hey, you want to see some of the worst filmmaking you've ever seen? Overall impression is the movie is is crap. I still have a fond place in my heart for Batman Forever, but this, I don't. This is awful. It's just shit. The script is terrible. The production value is terrible. The acting is terrible. The costuming is terrible. The makeup's bad. All the fight scenes in this movie are terrible. The acting is atrocious. The costume designs are ridiculous. The special effects are awful. The dialogue is so cringeworthy. And the entire thing just feels like a quick, cheap cash grab that just doesn't respect the source material whatsoever. Uh, the score is just like this hodgepodge of like horror. It's just not, none of it's good. While I was watching this movie with my wife, she kept commenting about how just awful this movie is, just how bad this movie is at, practically at every turn. And I had to keep apologizing. I legitimately felt bad. I was having her watch this. You you want to test your marriage? Watch this movie with your significant other. And if you're not divorced at the end, it's meant to be. Batman is typically a loner, and treating Robin like a kid, especially when he's not, would strain a partnership. Dick wants to be treated equal, but he can be reckless, which is why Bruce treats him the way he does. You could then compound that plot with the equally intriguing one that Alfred is dying and the toll that's taking on Bruce. Alfred was the one good thing in this movie, and even his storyline wasn't properly paid off. Being helpless to save the man that practically is his father would easily cause someone to act irrationally. His actions against Dick reflect how he feels about Alfred. But again, I will come back to it. The Alfred moments are the best. Uh, it got some of the best sort of Batman-y kind of lines. There's no defeat in death. Fighting for what's right whilst we're still alive is what counts. And I really like that line. It's probably the most Batman line you could probably get in a Batman film. And it's in the worst Batman film you can think of. Furthermore, you could work in an extremely heartbreaking narrative of Mr. Freeze and why he's doing what he's doing. All in all, I would almost say that 
these movies need a machete order like Star Wars does, where this is so much an Adam West-style Batman that it should almost be the first movie you watch after the Adam West Batman. It's so different. It's so goofy. It's so silly. But it has pieces, and it has moments that could be good. Hell, you could have kept the plot thread that Alfred is dying with the same disease as Nora and put him in the heartbreaking decision of having to choose who lives and who dies, Nora or Alfred. And he chooses Nora. This could have been an amazing film. This movie did so bad that it it pretty much put a halt on any future Batman related movies. There was supposed to be a fifth movie called Batman Unchained from Schumacher. That was canceled. There was also uh, Batman Dark Knight. That was canceled. Apparently, there was also a Robin spinoff, and that was canceled. And it's no surprise that they rebooted the franchise, and it's also no surprise they waited almost a decade to do it, because the stink of this turd was so strong that it, I mean, really almost killed DC films for quite a while. I mean, and, and honestly, they didn't help with stuff like Jonah Hex and Catwoman and Green Lantern and Superman Returns, but... Until Batman Begins, it was it was pretty bleak, and it really started with this dumpster fire. Screenwriter Akiva Goldsman, whose filmography is spotty at best, actually lifted the story of Victor Freeze from Paul Denny and Bruce Timm's episode Heart of Ice from the Batman animated series. That episode won a freaking Emmy, and these two jackals come in and piss all over. I, I mean, I really... I don't know who to blame so much for it. I don't blame the actors, although I, you know, none of them do a good job. Literally none of them. I do blame the producers for wanting to make a big budget toy commercial and wasting everyone's time. But you can't really blame someone when they're reading the lines that are written. I mean, this is some of the worst, cheesiest, hackiest script writing. But maybe this is, this is Joel Schumacher's Batman Returns. They gave Joel Schumacher too much control. Or... Maybe they took too much control away from Joel Schumacher. I don't know enough to know which it is. During the filming of uh, this movie, Batman and Robin, uh, reportedly Joel Schumacher would yell before takes, remember, you're in a cartoon. So that explains a lot. It's like they learned all the wrong lessons from Batman Forever. They overcorrected so hard from the dark tone of Burden's Batman Returns that it mutated into something far, far worse. It's kind of like the producers thought, okay, the last movie made a lot of money, let's do that all over again, but this time make it even more for kids, make it in half the time, sell more toys, and add more villains. But it's so far in a direction that it's just, it's bad. Like Batman Returns, too much control for Tim Burton, it's bad. But again has moments. Hell, Batman Sub-Zero was a much better film than this piece of shit, and people don't seem to care for it either, which I don't understand. The thing is, you can make a Mr. Freeze movie. You can make a Poison Ivy movie. But you can't make a movie where both of those characters team up and throw Bane in just for the hell of it. Now, over here in the UK, we have something called pantomime, so I don't know how well-traveled that is in around the world. Um, I know that uh, some actors from the States have been starting to come over to the UK to do panto, which is an annual event over here, around about Christmas time, New Year. It's a play that is designed to be a bad version of a fairy tale. It's camp. It is part 
farce, fairy tale, as I say. It is a type of performance that is deliberately bad. It is not meant to be highbrow entertainment, but it is a staple of the UK theatre-going experience. As a child, I used to go to pantos all the time. I've been in a few of them. You know, uh, the people do get into pantos in kind of that ironic way that Christmas jumpers are something you get into. So I will give a lot of things a lot of slack because they could be like a pantomime. Uh, so they could be very shallow. There's not really much going on. It's not there to teach you anything or make you think. It's just a bit of fun. That's where I came from for Batman Forever. Batman and Robin is totally devoid of even that. There isn't even the novelty element to it. There's nothing it can give you. Now, if they had gone the full way with it and just made it Batman 66 style with like musical number bits and clearly a jokey tone and, and just made it funny, it made it felt really out of place, specifically because it's part four in a series and the other three are not like that, but at least it could have had some redeeming quality and entertainment value. Instead, it's this horrible mess of tones that don't fit and everything about it sucks, man. Everything. Robin sucks in this movie, again. Batgirl is terrible. Batman is terrible. Everyone knows the villains. I mean, if you've even seen part of this movie, you know how shit the villains are. The campiest part of this movie, I think, is the movie. I can't really pick one part that just... There's so many awful, unenjoyable parts. What they've done to Commissioner Gordon. A lot of the acting, very much over the top. The fight choreography, awful. It's, it's the worst, man. I mean, and there's some truly awful superhero movies. Alicia Silverstone fed her son Bear by chewing his food and feeding it to him Mama Bird style. Just something I learned while Googling about this movie. I also learned that whatever state Gotham City is in, they definitely need the death penalty. Because why are you just going to put Mr. Freeze back in jail? Why? Also, I think Gotham is in New Jersey, for what that's worth. It looks like Gotham is in New Jersey. But as far as, you know, big budget superhero movie studio releases, this is way, way down there. I mean, I'm not going to say it's necessarily worse than like Steel or Supergirl or the Red Brown or Salinger Captain America movies or anything like that. But a lot of those were practically independent films or TV movies, you know? They were not big budget studio films. Even Steel, I would say 95% of its money went to just paying Shaq. The rest of it was just garbage. So I would I would say that maybe it's not necessarily comparable. Supergirl's probably the closest, but I would watch Supergirl before I watch this piece of shit again. The costumes, the design, the vehicles, the city, awful. It's all just bad. I think the one thing I enjoy is Arnold Schwarzenegger doing his dad puns because I'm a dad and I enjoy Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think that's the only really real thing I enjoy about this movie, other than it ending and never watching this piece of shit again. In my review of Batman Forever, I stated that Joel Schumacher's take on Batman is not my preferred choice, but everyone's entitled to enjoy whatever they want. If you are someone who loves Batman and Robin, then God bless. You enjoy the film until you die. If any of the other uh, podcasters assembled here today have fond feelings for this movie, then I'm happy for you, and I wish you all the luck in the world. (laughs) I would rather do horrible things or experience horrible things 
and I'm not going to give examples because I feel like anything that comes to mind is going to be going way too far. It, it's Anything is better than this movie. Anything. I'd rather get kicked in the crotch by an NFL kicker for an hour than watch this movie again. So, yeah. Unfortunately for me, I cannot sanction this buffoonery. The reason so many of us fans were devastated was because we were convinced that this was the end of the franchise. Much like with the Star Wars prequels, we never thought we'd be getting more of these movies. But thankfully, years later, Christopher Nolan saved the day by finally giving us the dark and gritty reboot that we all wanted with Batman Begins. I am so happy that the next episodes are going to be talking about the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy because holy crap, what an upgrade. By the way, who do I speak to about, I don't know, emotional compensation? Just, you know, do I get a t-shirt saying that Podcasters Assembled made me watch Batman and Robin? Uh, you know, that they made me do it on the back? I, I don't know. Um, if there's a formal process, can I just uh, know which form to fill in? Uh, and then uh, if you could get back to me, that'd be great. Thank you very much. Just, ah, f- this movie. So I believe that wraps up um, my thoughts on Batman and Robin 1997. So that's my review for Batman and Robin, and I look forward to watching another movie just so the taste of this, just so that the the searing image on my eyeballs is taken away, and I will join you on the next Bat movie on the same Bat channel. Next up, we uh, get into the films which we never thought we would actually see, and for the most part, most part, is a solid trilogy. Batman Begins will kick it all off next. Join us next time on Podcasters Assemble as we talk about Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, a good Batman movie for once. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. So until next time, Batcasters, assemble. Next time on Podcasters Assemble. They told me there was nothing out there. Nothing to fear. The night my parents were murdered, I caught a glimpse of something. I've looked for it ever since. I went around the world, searched in all the shadows. And there is something out there in the darkness. Something terrifying. Something that will not stop until I guess revenge. Be continued. Podcasters Assemble is a production of the We Can Make This Work, Probably, Podcast Network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble by looking us up on Twitter and Instagram at Casters Assemble or joining our Discord page. Link in the show notes. Submissions are always open. Intro written by Eric Slater. Music by Deft Stroke Sound. Voiceover by a guy in a basement with three daughters who's just glad he's not on food stamps. This episode was edited by Eric Slater. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. 
Be sure to check out the show notes for links to where you can find them all online. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at Probably Work for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. Backcasters, assemble. Podcasters, I symbol. Ah, you see what I did there? I said ice. Yeah. Badcasters, assemble. Badcasters, chill.